What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Monkey Finance Show podcast. Today, we're going to be recording episode number 64, and I'm bringing a guest on, and this is a very special guest. I'm going to be bringing on Stanley, who runs his own YouTube channel called Credit Frog, and he's been a private member. He's been one of the longest standing private members of mine, started his own YouTube channel, and it's all about credit cards. I cannot wait to be educated on this because I watch his channel, and I'm almost intrigued in applying for a credit card, but we'll get to that. So without further introduction, Stanley, welcome to the Monkey Finance Podcast, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and what you do over there on your YouTube channel, and then we'll go into uh, a broad range of topics uh, on this episode. Well, first of all, Monkey, thank you so much for having me on your channel. Uh, I think that your investing styles and my styles are very, very similar, and that's kind of how I found you in the first place. And so uh, thank you so much for having me on. Um, so yeah, I did recently start a YouTube channel uh, earlier this year called The Credit Frog, just on credit cards. It's been a hobby of mine for, for as long as I can remember. And uh, I really wanted to kind of experience that with others and really share my experiences uh, with the community because there's a really big credit card community on YouTube. Uh, and so I wanted to be a part of that and started the YouTube channel for, for that reason. Um, yeah, just a little bit about me. Uh, I actually didn't know a lot about finance and investing uh, until maybe around a couple of years ago. Uh, I've been really fortunate that, you know, when I was a child, a lot of my uh, education has been avoid debt, avoid debt, avoid debt. And so that's really been drilled into my mind and, and to save, save, save. But I really didn't get into investing and how that worked until much recently. And we can kind of go over that story, you know, in the, in the podcast as well. Um, and so that's uh, kind of where I want to start. Um, what other things uh, did you like to know? Yeah, so I'm curious. This, this is interesting because I think in America, debt is like plastered everywhere. So how, what's the background where you, you didn't grow up with learning about debt? Is it just because uh, in your family it was always use cash and pay for stuff in cash or was it just something you just never got exposed to and that's kind of why you never really got into any kind of debt yeah so my family used cash for basically everything um they use credit cards here and there but for the most part it was cash they really thought cash was king and they said to save, 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 but they never said invest, invest, invest. Mm. And so that was kind of where the education and the learning started. Uh, so I actually had to learn a lot about credit cards on my own, uh, and that's how it became a hobby of mine, I just diving into it. But I never got to investing until later on uh, in my life, uh, and that's kind of uh, why I think it's so important for young people to get into it early, because as you know, time is really the way that we can use that to get, uh, you know, uh, all that investing to, to grow over time. And it's really important for people to get started early. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, I didn't get started until much later in my probably early 30s. Um, one of the reasons why is because uh, I went to college and then I became a doctor uh, as one of my career. And because of that, there's a lot of schooling involved in that as well. And so by the time I got to actually start making money, it was in my mid-20s, late-20s. Uh, and so I didn't have a chance to get started with investing earlier on. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I've uh, talked to to a few people who are in the medical field, and it's it's a lot of schooling. It's, did you take out any student loan debts, or were you able to cash flow? Uh, I was your very school? I was very fortunate actually. Uh, my parents paid for a lot of that. Oh. I was able to work a few part time jobs to supplement my living expenses, but I, I 
have to say that my parents definitely had the ability to yeah. pay for my tuition. So I was very fortunate for that. Yeah, same here. I mean, my parents, again, we immigrated here in 1997. Same mentality, again, cash is king because from the country they came from, nobody really took out any debt. And uh, luckily, uh, through college, through working part-time jobs and probably 90, 95% of my parents' money, they helped cash flow my school. Um, my exposure to debt came in college because credit cards on campus and things like that. But we'll talk about that a little bit later when we talk about credit cards. But I'm curious now to, to just talk a little bit on that because we are prim I'm primarily an investing channel. So I want to get the investing stuff out of the way. Um, when you got your first exposure, was it because you saw like stuff on YouTube that promised some crazy gains or did you... Uh, sit down and, and read a couple of books and figure out, hey, this is the way to build wealth. Uh, what was your ex initial exposure to investing? So my initial exposure was very simple. So my parents didn't know a lot about investing, but they did know about a Roth IRA. And they said, you know, whatever you do, make sure to max that out as soon as you possibly can. And so the first year I made, you know, went and, and got a job, I made sure to max out Roth IRA. And I did that every single year until now. So I've been doing that. And that's the only really investment that I've been doing since I started working. That was my first exposure. I didn't know what to invest in. And so that was kind of part of the learning process too. Actually, my entire, for the first like five or six years, I was invested 100% in gold. Oh, wow. Which is, uh, you know, it's not really the best investment, but I, did, I didn't know anything. Yeah. Uh, it did work out in the end, uh, which is, I'll kind of go into that later. But, it, you know, I think that once I learned to learn about investing more, then I started to kind of say, okay, gold is not the best thing to be 100%, and I probably should have diversified a little bit more than that. But, you know, as you know, the Roth IRA has those contribution limits, and so it wasn't really like an insane amount of money that was in the Roth IRA anyways. Um, I think the first book that I looked at was actually the Bogleheads Guide to Investing. And so that was pretty easy. It kind of gave you the first step. I just saw it on the internet somewhere on some blog. And I was like, oh, I'll just check it out. And so I read it and I was like, oh, okay. So the 60, you know, total market, 20 international, 20 bonds is kind of the standard. Um, but then I read a second book that really changed my life. And that was J.L. Collins' uh, Simple Path to Wealth. I love that book. Yeah, it, it is a great book. I actually did it with audiobooks, so I was able to listen to his voice, and it was just very calming, <laughs> calming and soothing. Oh, it's, he read the book, like the yeah. audio version? It's him narrating it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's cool. It was really cool. And, and so um, I actually actually subscribe more to that now than I do the Boglehead um, you know, a three, three and X fund situation. Mm -hmm. And so I actually, when I first started, was 100% VTI. And that was it. You know, I think I, I, I love the simplicity. I'm more of a simplicity over complexity kind of person. And so I like, this is all I need to do. I'll just put it in. Some people say use in, uh, target retirement funds. I actually like the whole total market, just make it easy. Um, and then I found your channel. Uh, and actually, I found your channel, uh, I think, in 2020. Mm -hmm. And at that point, and I'm going to kind of uh, age you a little bit here, your videos, your old videos were still on your channel at that time. And so the videos where you were uh, doing the uh, dividend pies, the, the, the pies. M1 pies, the uh, oh, uh, dividend aristocrats videos. This might have been 2019. Well, maybe it was like January 2020. Yeah, I binge watched all of your investing videos because it was so fascinating to me. Not uh, in a good way, I would say. I would say, wow, this guy is really not doing very well with his investing. And I should probably... But at that point, you also had gone to index investing too. So I had that tail end of the stuff. I loved watching all of those videos because it was something that I could see that I probably should not be doing. Yeah. 
trying to pick up stocks, trying to make your own ETF, the Moki ETF with the 56 ETFs or whatever, how many you had? 69. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it. I was like, that is so complicated, but yeah. I guess we could try that. I, I don't know. So it was, it's really fun though. I thought it was really fun to watch that because you want to see the other side too, not just your own side. You want to kind of make your own decision based off all the information. Uh, and so I started watching your videos. I really like kind of resonated with your message about index investing and coupled with, you know, the books I read as well, uh, I was like, this is really, really good stuff. So I subscribed. And this is around the time you started to get into the small cap value. And so mm. I was following you for the small cap value. And that's kind of when I realized with, you know, looking at your channel, looking at uh, Paul Merriman's uh, work on his website, that, you know, small cap value can bring a lot of good as well. And so actually I added that to my portfolio too. And so now I have a two, not two fund because I have multiple funds within that, that class, but I have basically two major investments, small cap value and total market. And that's it. I will add bonds eventually when I get older, but right now I don't yeah. think that's going to be the case. When you say total market is like total world or just total US? Total US. Total US. Okay. Yes. So like, a, what's the percentage? 80-20 or? Is it's it around 80-20. Yes. 80-20. Pretty cool. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I forgot about those videos. Um, when I first started in 2019, I started my channel in 2019. Uh, I did not know. I just paid off my debt. I knew nothing about investing. I, I picked up Bogle's book in the later half of, of 2019. And um, I made a lot of mistakes. Started off with like REITs in a taxable account. I don't know if you remember those videos. 10 oh, yeah. monthly paying REIT stocks. Yep. In, in your taxable in, in my M1 finance taxable <laughs> account that lasted about three months, <laughs> and yep. then it was like, oh no, this is yep. this is not good for taxes. And then uh, it's like, oh, let me these dividend growers, it, it's so cool because they grow their dividends. So I'm gonna go ahead and well, I don't know which ones to pick, so I'll pick all 69 of them because at the time, I, and I'm sure this ETF exists. There's a dividend aristocrats ETF. Uh, who was the company? I forgot. Who, I think NOBL is the ticker. Had like 35 expense ratio, uh, uh, 35 basis point expense ratio. And I remember reading in Bogle's book, do not pay that. So I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm going to make my own. <laughs> and then yeah, eventually yeah. I'm like, okay, my channel's gotten like to 1K subs. Why don't I just show people what I'm doing like in my real, like my fidelity? Like what am I doing behind the, because that stuff was like, playing around for me i was like let me build this right. up and i actually built it up to i don't know a 10 or twenty thousand dollar account at one point uh -huh. and then i'm like oh, i'm just gonna put it back in index because that's all i knew so it's kind of cool yeah i even forgot i did that <laughs> that's going way back to like yeah. the og when when i started talking about investing on the channel so that's cool um now your strategy you seem pretty set in which is great you seem like you verified it with different sources obviously not just something you read on youtube which is great you're pretty confident, I'm assuming, going long-term with this strategy. I think investing is so simple. Once you've figured what you just figured out, you're done, right? Like you never have to second guess or worry about it. And that's the point that I want everybody to take away from that's listening uh, is once you figure out your strategy, you're good. Like you don't have to tinker with it, try to find, uh, tweak it, what's better, this is better. Like you're just going to end up stabbing yourself in the foot doesn't work out so absolutely I, no. I i love that that you've kind of you've come to that conclusion on your own but you've also verified other sources and you're like i'm good so that's yeah. cool and i think we're done with the investing talk we know everything there is to know about investing it's right. that simple it it's takes very like 10 simple minutes. it's it's really really simple i think it's if you long as you understand your strategy and you stick to strategy and don't go in and out a bunch of times um 
then usually things work out for you very well in the end. The more you buy and sell, that's kind of when you start losing a lot of money. Um, there, are, of course, I say that generally there are active traders, day traders that may say otherwise, and you know I'm not in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, I do uh, just simple investing, simple strategies. I have need time to do other things, mm-hmm. like look at credit cards, for example. Uh, but you know, I think that once you get a good strategy, um, it's kind of very simple. One other thing I want to mention, though, is I. One other thing I forgot to mention is that I did have a major event in my life that actually almost stimulated me to learn more about investing, and I think it's a really important thing to say because there's always something that happens in your life that really kind of kicks you in the butt, and you really say, you know, I really made this really big mistake, and I really have to learn from it. And so before I got into your channel, before I got into, you know, um, you know, the simple path to wealth and, you know, learning and really understanding investing, I basically put a lot of my extra money in savings into like a robo-advisor account. So it was mm. you know, one of those things that you put money in, they diversify for you, and it's totally fine. Um, I thought that would be the way it would go forever because there was very little cost to it. Um, there's like a point three percent or something fee that you have to take out every year, but like it's not like that bad. Definitely less than a financial advisor. Um, and I was going fine for the first couple of years up until March 2020, and we all know what happened in March 2020. And so that's when the stock market took a huge nosedive. And at that point, I was getting kind of freaked out because I saw a lot of my funds I was saving disappear. And so uh, about halfway down, as the stock market was going down, about halfway at that point, I sold off almost everything because I got really freaked out about it. Uh, I ended up losing about $20,000 in gains and 10000 of principal in that wow. account. And I total, that's $30,000. And and so that was a very, very big mistake. And I was like, I can't believe I did that. Why did I do that? And I I told myself, I have to figure out what happened and why. Uh, because I can't make that same mistake again. Uh, and so... All, the rest of the you know year, I started to learn about investing, just baby steps, reading books, you know, trying to figure things out. Well, of course, the world was kind of all over the place, so we were all having our own issues with that. But at the very end, I was able to learn that, you know what, I need to stick to a strategy where I don't get freaked out by these big swings in the market. And I can just have a simple strategy that I can follow uh, so I can, uh, you know, have a very simple path to wealth, so to speak. And so that's something I want to just bring out to you is that, you know, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Uh, you will make a mistake uh, or several mistakes for that matter. And the thing is, as long as you pick yourself up and learn from them, that's what's really important. And you just make sure that you kind of keep learning because everything is, you know, learnable. Yeah, I love that. And thanks for sharing that. I mean, I don't love that you lost 30000 obviously, but uh, sometimes you're right. It, it is those lessons that cost a lot that really kick us in the butt and tell us, hey, uh, you did some stupid stuff and you paid for it and, and now you're better for it. And luckily, you know, and I'm not saying like 30,000 is chump change, but luckily you made it early on in your investing career and you're not doing it with a multi-million dollar portfolio, right. you know, got, you know, those losses would be magnified even worse. It was a tricky time. You know, the market crashes 30% in one month and then it recovers in two months. Like mm-hmm. it's, historically those times don't it doesn't usually work out that way so i think it freaked out a lot of people um i on the other hand i was buying just 
because I, I had already cemented into my mind that I was going to stick with the index funds and that this is normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can see myself if 2020 happened in 2019 when I was still, um, I would say green, I could definitely see myself doing that. And I'm sure all of us can, we've all made, I've made mistakes. Obviously I shared those REITs and taxables and all that. And, right. and it's okay to make those mistakes early on because they make you a better investor and it, it eventually helps cement whatever philosophy you believe in. And as we mature as people and as, as investors, we, we learn from that and move on. And that's awesome. Yeah. And anybody that's watching, that's like freaked out right now, it's basically mm-hmm. right now, Definitely. what's happened in the last six months basically happened in March of 2020. It happened in one month versus six months. But if you're on the edge, you're like, I'm going to sell it all. Um, really listen to Stan's story, listen to my uh, story too. And, and just remember, first of all, why you're investing. And if you believe in your strategy long-term, if it has, any kind of track record that's that's proven to be successful, just stay the course and you're going to be fine. Um, so cool. Yeah, that, let's wrap up the investing stuff. I really want to get to the juicy credit cards. And uh, people <laughs> right. are probably going to be shocked that I'm even bringing a credit card channel on. Guys, just because I don't use credit cards doesn't mean the rest of the world. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with people that want to use credit cards and are responsible about it. And uh, I know Stanley is. I just had a, a previous live stream with Strongman Personal Finance. He says he uses his credit cards responsibly. I'm not going to just say uh, don't use them, Stanley, because first of all, you're a bigger credit card expert than me. But let's talk about the beginning. How did you get exposed to credit cards? Because I, I got exposed to my first one in college at the campus waving around the free uh, hoodies. Here's a credit card. Sign up for that. You get a hoodie. Yeah. What was your first credit card? How did you get exposed to it? And then uh, any, any mistakes you made with those early on? Sure. So the first thing I want to mention is that when someone offers you a hoodie for a credit card, don't sign up for that. That's a really bad sign-up bonus. It's, <laughs> it's not really worth it. There's plenty of other sign-up bonuses that are much better than a hoodie. But I can see that if you're on a college campus and you don't know any better, that can happen uh, because free hoodie is free hoodie. Free pizza is free pizza. Uh, actually, they still do these kinds of things. Uh, you know, My girlfriend got a Costco card like, about a couple of years ago. And I think the, they gave you a mug or a bag of avocados as your sign-up bonus. <laughs> and it was <laughs> super random, but like that was their sign-up bonus. A bag uh, of avocados. I don't know if they have that still going on now, but that's just something I wanted to mention. So my first credit card was actually in college. Um, I, it's kind of interesting because I've always been a saver mindset. I like, mm-hmm. as I mentioned before, you know, my parents really ingrained to me, you know, save, 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 and not to spend on things you don't need. And I think that's really important because if you can manage your finances by spending less than you make and not make frivolous purchases, financially you're going to be successful. That's just the bottom line. No matter how much money you make, if you make tons of money but you overspend and you spend more than you make, you will be financially not in a good position. Uh, so when I got my first credit card, it was in college. I, it was an American Express. It was actually the American Express Blue Cash Card. Um, I got it because I knew that the credit score would be helpful in the future because I was told, you know, you need to have it for your mortgage or for any kind of debt products. Uh, obviously, debt is very bad, but I knew that eventually I would apply for a house or apply for a mortgage for a house, and uh, I would need to have that credit score really high. I didn't have any other goals in that, but I, I was really good about it because I paid for most of the, th- the things at that time in college with cash and my debit card. Um, I would take the credit card out once a month to dinner charge it for dinner, and I would pay it back in full and just one charge. So I knew if there was any kind of fraudulent charges, if there was an extra charge, I was, I'd know that. And that happened a couple times. Uh, so that was good that you know I was able to do that for about a year or two years. I didn't really rush into credit cards at the beginning. 
uh, I just knew that I wanted to get started as early as possible because that way you start to build that credit history based on those credit scoring things that you have, uh, those five different credit uh, pro things that you, the, the five things going to credit score. And so I think that that's my story early on. And then as you kind of move forward, you wanted to kind of get more and more credit cards. And that's when I started to learn about them more and how they had different bonuses and different offers. And so I started to go into that more into more detail, but the issue is that you're limited by your income, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're making a part-time job or doing a part-time job in college, it may not be high enough to get another credit card or this much. It's much different now. When I was back in college, there was no student credit cards, no secured credit cards. You literally just applied for unsecured credit card and hope for the best. Uh, but the way you would get to those levels were to start early and have that history behind you. Mm -hmm. And so it was really important to have it. So I really didn't have an issue with credit cards until... Um, well, I, I never really had one, you know, until I started having more and then it, it came a little more complicated. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I remember that credit card that I got on the campus, I think they gave me a 500 or $600 limit. It was like a really low limit, but, um, it was, a, I had no credit. Right. And it, it wasn't a student card. I don't think it was a student card. I don't think it was unsecured. I mean, it was, it was not like a secured card mm -hmm. where you put cash down. So they, yeah. they approved me. I don't know how, but I did have a part-time job. That's probably why it's because mm -hmm. I had the part-time job. Um, Cause it's like, if they approved me and I had no job, how was I going to ever make the payment back? <laughs> you right. know what I mean? That's like, yeah, yep. it, it wouldn't be legal lending practice, I think to do that. So, uh, but yeah, the game's changed now. And for people that have hurt their credit, trying to repair their credit, there's definitely different avenues with uh, secured cards and intro cards that you can get into. Now, you start off with this card. Moving forward, you got these different rewards. At any given time, are you ever closing uh, cards to get new cards? Because you have all these revolving trades or uh, trade lines on your credit. Does that affect, like, if you're trying to get the newest? Because I see you on your channel applying for all kinds of cards. Mm -hmm. Does that ever affect, like, hey, you have too much open revolving credit lines that, you're not going to get approved for another credit card. Sure. So that's a very common misconception about credit cards. Actually, having a lot of trade lines open are actually very good for your credit score. Um, you know, it's it's not great to have a lot open uh, just from the general life sense, but your credit score really likes having a lot of trade lines open and having a lot of good credit history, good payment history. It also helps with your utilization because mm -hmm. the more trade lines have open, the more total credit you will have. And so that's something that actually is really good good for your credit. So when you kind of start opening credit cards and, you know, when you first start, my recommendation is always to open no annual fee credit cards because with you do that, you can keep those trade lines open and they can age your uh, history as you move forward in life. And so that's uh, kind of one of the games you want to play. The thing is when you get to different banks that have more predatory lending tactics, they'll give you these credit cards that are easier to get, but they have like these $29, $39 annual fees, and then you're stuck with that if that's your oldest card forever because you don't want to close your oldest card. And so you really want to start with just no annual fee cards. And then another factor to that is when you open other cards that are more premium, they may have higher annual fees, but you can also strategize saying, well, I may use this card now, but maybe down the line, I may want to transition that down to a no annual fee card by something called a product change. And mm -hmm. so you can use that strategy to help keep these trade lines open, uh, but at the same time getting the value you get from the premium cards if it fits your situation at the time. Because sometimes 
things change, life changes, your spending habits change. So sometimes a premium credit card for, that you had now may not work later on. One good example of that is, is the card called the American Express Blue Cash Preferred. I love that card for most of college and most of my adult life. Uh, it was great. It has 6% cash back on groceries and up to $6,000 a year. And so it's a really high multiplier for cash back. But you know, at some point, I realized that there are cards that came out that were better. Um, there's other cards that you know I could uh, decrease the multiple, like the annual fee with credits, uh, better than the MFS preferred. And so that's why I decided to cancel that card and move it down to like a different card with a no annual fee. And that's what I did. Gotcha. And so it really depends on your strategy. And and it's really fun to learn about those different cards and how they can really. Uh, you know, how you can really strategize your life around the multipliers that you're spending on. Yeah, I feel like it's 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 a skill set, just like building a portfolio, like you're building a portfolio of credit cards and you're trying to pick what's going to be the most efficient. I always thought, and, and I from my personal experience, when I didn't close out the credit card that I had, but I stopped using it and it closed itself, like mm-hmm. after, for inactivity, that dinged my credit score a lot. Then I got a new card from Chase to kind of restart that, uh, the Chase Freedom. And then I had that card all the way up until 2020. After I paid off my debt, again, I stopped using that and that thing closed out. And I just kept having these like big spikes in my credit score would go up and then it would go down. Um, So yeah, that's interesting that you never close it out. You're just, you called it a product swap. So you're just basically Mm -hmm. taking this premium card with whatever the annual fee is going into a a smaller, lesser card and, and the trade line stays open. So your credit score is, they don't probably even do a credit pull, right? It doesn't even get affected. Nope, doesn't affect it at all. You just call them up and say, I want a product change to this card, and they do it for you. And everything they just say, the numbers stay the same, your credit limit stays the same. It's just there's no annual fee. Yeah, I learned and something. So, See, that's great. This, yeah, I, I didn't know this. So, again, I'm not you, – you will probably – Stanley's way more educated than me when it comes to credit cards. Obviously, he's got a credit card YouTube channel. But I just learned something. I didn't know that – when I worked at the bank, I, I do know that people were stepping up in credit. Like if we we got somebody into an intro card with no no uh, cash back or whatever, they'd call up like, ah, I want to upgrade. I'm like, okay, let's run your credit. Let's see if you qualify for the first tier rewards or whatever those credit, like the Visa signature or whatever some of those cards were. Didn't have a lot of people calling back to step down. But yeah, I guess it's possible um, to do that within the same category of, of cards. Yeah, I think as a you know, if you work at the bank, you're probably more incentivized to have people upgrade their cards. The issue with that upgrading cards, which you can do by the way with no hard pull, no credit like pull. Um, the issue with that though is that you lose on something called the sign up bonus. So you can product change a card, your history stays the same, your credit limit stays the same, but you don't get the sign up bonus. And the mm-hmm. sign up bonus is when you actually apply for a card brand new and you have something like spend you know fifteen hundred dollars and get two hundred dollars cash back, something like that. Um, and that is probably the best way to get value from credit cards is getting that sign up bonus. Um, there are certainly situations where you would want a product change up, but it's very rare you want to go up. You probably would most benefit from product changing down because the higher credit cards typically have better sign-up bonuses, as in you get more value out of them. So, for example, if you were to you know transition one card, let's say the Amex Green card to the Amex Gold card, the Gold card has uh, a standard bonus of seventy-five thousand number reward points, which could be valued at seven hundred and fifty dollars wow. uh, base. Uh, but you would not get that if you weren't, for example offered an upgrade bonus or you decide to just product change that up. So you want to be careful about going up. Uh, but going down is 
different because even though the sign-up bonus that you may be missing out on from the lower card, it's not as big of a sign-up bonus. And so that and you're saving is, on the annual fees, so it's probably more advantageous. Right. So it depends on kind of what you're looking at. Some people they they want to make sure they get every sign up bonus. So they'll what they'll do is they'll you know they'll apply for the the lower card, then they'll cancel the upper card. Um, I'm you know it depends on the person. I'm not a fan of that personally. I think if I have a, a long term you know card that was an annual fee card and I wanted to keep it long term, I would just product change it and forego the sub. But it depends on the person. Uh, some people they want to like super super maximize, and even though we're a credit card channel, I'm the first to say that I'm not super efficient with it. I'm not like going to mm-hmm. be you know get every single point here, there, and the other thing. I just yeah. I want to get value, but do it in a very simple and manageable way, which is why I don't have a lot of credit cards. I have a lot more than the typical person, but I don't mm-hmm. have like tons of them. Yeah. You're not having like a a, a a photo album of credit cards that you're no. just playing. <laughs> this month. I'm pulling this one for for this category. I I, yeah. I forgot whose channel I watched that had uh, he had like a big photo album of credit cards that he was going through. Um, so I'm curious uh, as 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 far as like your your day to day spending on these credit cards. I know you're you're putting you're not doing any kind of frivolous spending. You're putting. Uh, just what you need but are you ever in a point where you're like confusing which card to use like in a month how many individual cards do you swipe and does it get difficult then to spot fraud like if you have 10 credit card accounts open mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know for me i feel like uh it's not simple because then i have to t- check 10 statements because i i print every statement i check every statement like mm-hmm. a like a hawk how do you do that month like every month you use a set amount of cards do, do those change month over month and kind of explain that process so i'll kind of address the first question first is that you know uh my card setup is pretty simple in terms of it's always going to be the same cards uh because i don't have a situation where you have something called a a a rotating category card so sometimes you have these cards where they rotate categories every month and so you get a five percent multiplier on these categories they switch over and over again that's very confusing and i don't have time for that so basically what i have is a card or cards that are pretty standard and pretty stagnant Mm -hmm. and so i know which card is going to have the best multiplier for this particular thing and so my wallet and i've kind of shown this in my what's my wallet videos but i rent basically four cards at maximum at any given time four or five cards um i carry only two of them in my wallet the other three live in my apple watch so i can use them when i need to and because they're always the same category i pretty it's pretty easy for me to figure out which one goes where Mm -hmm. uh and so i've gotten used to that um in terms of checking each statement you're right the more credit cards you have the harder it is to figure out if there's fraud if you have something else without checking a ton of different statements and so that's where a lot of aggregate um softwares come into play there's things like mint.com i personally use union budget uh, or ynab.com and basically it'll pull in all of your uh credit card expenses and you can see which ones came up uh but i go even a step further and this is a little more i would say not what people do all the time but some people maybe if they're really into budgeting is um i have the ynab app on my phone and after every single purchase i manually enter that purchase into my phone and so I know, because it takes me like maybe 10 seconds to just do it real fast. Uh, I know that every purchase I made every single day, and you can flip on that app and just say, okay, I made these purchases here. And then you know like what happened uh, with kind of your day. Some people, uh, it's harder for them to do that. I, it's easier for me because it's only me um, right now. Uh, I don't have like kids or like, you know, I'm not married at this point. And so it's just my spending. I can see if you have more people in your household, though, that could be a little bit more challenging, especially if you have a joint account 
for yeah. you know joint credit cards. Yeah. Now that's interesting. It's kind of like you're balancing a checkbook with the way you're doing it, where you're yeah. just verifying the purchases through through what you've written down versus what the. And yeah, I, I think the technology. I'm a bit outdated in, in the technology. I don't use any of those apps. I know uh, uh, one of the conscious tried to get me on Mint, <laughs> but I'm just like, I'm, I don't know if I'm if I have like security mistrust on these apps, or I'm just mm-hmm. like after you know some of these fintechs. I'm just like I, I'd rather not have yeah. a lot of my account information floating around, even though I plaster my freaking account online. Well, that's another, like, you know, it's also important to know that with credit cards, um, it is an extra layer of security, right? And so I think the last video you posted about reacting to that credit card video, they were talking about how it's the middleman. And Mm -hmm. that can be a bad thing. It also be a good thing, though, because you're not spending your Your money. money. It's the bank's money. So if there's fraud on the bank side, they'll take care of it, as opposed to the debit card. That's going to be your money that's missing. And so that's that extra layer of security that can be very, very good and helpful. Yeah. When I worked at the bank, there's a regulation. I forgot the name for it. But when somebody had credit card fraud, we they got the it's like a provisional credit. You get it right away on your account. Like you get the mm-hmm. money back as soon as you That's put good. in the claim. Now for debit cards and checking account, checking accounts are very like an ACH fraud claim is very difficult. Mm-hmm. The bank can use like 60 days to get your money back. But for debit cards, I think the when I worked, the regulation stated they had to get your money back within 10 days. So you can, mm-hmm. you know potentially be out of your cash for 10 days while they investigate the fraud. And sometimes, you know, if they investigate, depending if it's a dispute or if it's fraud, sometimes, you know, dispute is like, yeah, I made the purchase, but, you know, I didn't get the service or the product. And that could be a 30 day hold on your cash. And sometimes that's that's a bad thing. So, yeah, you are right. I mean, there is definitely added benefit when you're using other people's money when fraud's involved, because, you don't care. It's the bank that right. just lost out that money. It, they're more incentivized that's right. to process their fraud claims on the credit cards because it's mm-hmm. their money. So yeah, that's a good. That's that's definitely a good point. And there is a lot of risk to that. There's a lot of risk in in me carrying, mm-hmm. like for example, if, look at my wallet. I got cash. Oh, in, yeah. Right. So yeah. somebody snatches this. I just whatever. I try not to carry more than five hundred bucks in my wallet. But mm-hmm. you know that's it's it's a big risk versus somebody snatches your wallet yeah. and you got two credit cards in there. Who cares? You close them up on your phone probably and you're good. You get the new ones expressed to you. So let's transition to the YouTube channel. This is this stuff that you started. It seems like it's it's a passion project for you. You're very passionate about credit cards. You use them in your daily life and you're like, I think other people could benefit from this. And you started putting out content. And I mean, top notch content from the day you started, like you put my videos to shame. So that's First no, of all, I want to say I want to say good job on on the quality on uh, I, this guy's got a road mic over here. Well, thank so he's, you, <laughs> thank yeah, you, I appreciate just, that. yeah, I'm using like a Amazon mic. So first of all, what uh, what strike the idea for the YouTube channel? And then when you I'm really impressed when you decided to go all in, you're like, I'm going to blast the best content that I can. And you're clearly sticking to the kind like you're passionate about. It. You're not like I started it like some people do, and then like two months later, I got no views. I don't care about this anymore. You could tell you're passionate about it, but where'd you get yeah. the motivation first of all, and then mm-hmm. kind of uh, what 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 got you going with the YouTube stuff? Sure, yeah, that's a really good question because I never, you know, six months ago, I would not be even imagining sitting here on this podcast making this kind of content. So that shows you kind of how long you can come if you put your mind to it. But basically, this actually started out as a idea for a blog. Um, actually, uh, what happened was I noticed that 
uh, over the pan, you know the pandemic 2020 2021 I was watching a lot of YouTube mm-hmm. uh, and it was a certain kind of YouTube it was finance and it was credit cards that was the primary topics that I was watching uh, and I like I really enjoyed the credit card content that those creators that I watched um, were putting out and I had a lot of all you know opinions I had a lot of uh, thoughts of myself and, and I thought to myself you know what really good is I could actually you know be a part of that community community, be a part of that, uh, you know, environment. And so uh, for me, I was still kind of hesitant about putting my face on camera. And so I was like, maybe I'll just do a blog because I can, you know, type pretty fast and write pretty fast and I can probably do that. And so my background, uh, just so you know, I did actually teach myself how to do web development. So build websites, uh, do web design. I just did that as kind of a hobby on the side for the past couple of years before that. And so I was able to, I knew how to kind of make these websites either from scratch or from WordPress here or there. And so that was kind of my initial plan. But then I realized, you know, in this day and age, blogs aren't really read as much anymore. Mm-hmm. It's more about video. Um, and so I was like, well, maybe I'll just make some PowerPoints and put them on YouTube and just like, you know, use that as a video portion of my blog, right? To kind of make it look a little bit better. Uh, but then I kind of thought to myself, you know what? I watch these creators, these content creators um, about credit cards, about finance, and why do I subscribe to them? Why do I, why do I like them so much? And it's, I realized on my subscription page is that I really resonate with their message. I resonate with them as individuals. I see their face. I see kind of their lives. I kind of see how they do their, either their investing, uh, how they, you know, uh, run their lives with the finances, how they open credit cards or use credit cards. And so you kind of get that connection with that creator. And so I just made the final decision uh, before 2022 started that, you know what, I, I really have to put my face on camera. I don't really have a choice because that's how I watch videos of other people. So I can't not do this, but I don't know how to get started. Right. And so from the blog standpoint, I wanted to run the blog alongside the YouTube channel. That blog has since gone away because it just takes too much time, and I wanted to focus more on the YouTube channel. But, you know, I just said, you know what? You know, I know the content. I know the credit card stuff. I've been doing this for, for more than 10 to 10 years, and so I just want to just get started and see how it goes. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to make content for one year. We'll see how it goes with then, and uh, we'll kind of reassess at that one-year mark. And so far, I've been really enjoying it. It's been such a blessing. It's been such a great journey. Uh, you know, I've grown so much in terms of getting comfortable on camera, speaking to an audience, uh, doing all the YouTube stuff like the video editing and trying to figure out how to, like, script your videos and all the different camera and lighting and sound stuff. Like, that's all fun and all that stuff has been always been fun for me this has always been a really great hobby for me um especially you know after work you know when you've seen like a whole panel of patients the whole day and you come home and you want to do something different this is a great hobby for me to kind of de-stress demotivate maybe for some people editing and scripting maybe kind of more like work but Mm -hmm. for me it's just it feels more um it feels like uh, escape. It kind of feels like something that I could really enjoy doing. That's kind of outside what I normally do in my daily life, um, and so that's kind of how this YouTube channel started. Yeah, very interesting. I think very few YouTubers would tell you that they like the editing and the video. And uh, most yeah. YouTubers are like, I want to outsource that stuff, or they're like me and I do zero editing and zero scripting. I'm just like hit record, hit cancel. <laughs> However, it came out, it came out. So that's yeah. cool that you're into that. I mean. It, it really shows uh, when from literally from the first video to 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 now you're you've gotten better 
first on being on camera, but uh, your editing skills, everything, everything is just improving, improving. And I think you like you're top notch. Like when I open one well, of your you, videos, I know I'm seeing like a, a high quality production. I appreciate that. Even if it's on a topic that uh, I have l- less interest than I normally would, I still watch for the uh, the entertainment value and, and the production value because I know how much work you've put into it and how good it looks. So uh, that's cool how you started. It's cool that you're still pl- How How long? Six months now? Six months now. Yep. And we we're at uh, almost six hundred or six fifty. No, I'm at I think at six eighty now. Oh, oh wow! So you 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 you're really chugging along to that one thousand. Yeah, I'm actually really close to the one thousand. So you, as you know, you had one thousand subscribers and forty four thousand watch hours. I'm actually going to probably hit the watch hours first. That's good. I'm sitting at around thirty five hundred right now. Wow, that's good. And so uh, I'm probably going to have to wait a little bit longer for the subscriber count to get up. But again, you know, this is something that you know you, it happens organically. You know, you just kind of have to you'll put better content out to make sure people uh, you'll enjoy it. That's really what's the most important thing. And as long as they resonate with your message, you know, you just have to trust in the process. Yeah. So I want everybody that's listening to the podcast. And even if you're watching now on the YouTube, see all the work Stanley has put into this. The least you can do is check out the credit frog, hit the subscribe button and watch promise me though. You can't just hit subscribe and not watch his video, watch one of his videos, hit the like button and watch it all the way through. And that will help push Stanley over the limit and how much work he's put into it. It'll, it'll help him uh, see on the back end that, Hey, it, it is resonating. Cause I mean, if you're getting the watch hours, that's telling you, you you're building a loyal audience base who, who watches you for you. And I, I had the same problem. I hit my watch, my watch time, but I didn't have the subscribers. And it's like, once you hit that 1000, I had a, uh, a plug from uh, J Mac investing. He brought me onto a live stream. This was like in May of 2020 brought me on and I was sitting around the same, I think three or 400. So maybe a little bit less than what you were at. And literally within three months after that, I hit the one K and then it just boom, it exploded from there. So hopefully, hopefully, you know, my audience can, can get over there and you guys will learn from him a lot more about credit cards than you're going to learn from me. And probably if you're watching me, you probably have a credit card, right? So go over there, check out the credit frog and, and enjoy the content. I think, I think, uh, when I put a stamp of approval on something, I, I really believe in it. And I know that what he's putting out, even if I don't see the next video, I'll know it'll be something good. So that that's cool. Hopefully this helps out to uh, Stanley. Now, going forward, I've seen, uh, again, I, with a kid, I can't watch literally every video, but uh, come in and out and I've seen unboxing videos. I've seen the what's in my wallet. I've seen you applying. Where are you getting these ideas for the content? And then like, mm-hmm. what's the do you see certain content is like doing better for you or you enjoy making other pieces of content more like what's what's been driving the ideas for the videos that you've been doing well like i said you know i was watching a lot of credit card content before i started my channel in 2021 and so i would watch these creators do these types of videos and i would really enjoy them because you get to kind of learn a little bit more about them or kind of so for the what's in your wallet you kind of see how they do their setups for the uh watch me apply you kind of can you know hope hope they get apply, hope they approve you know yeah. and so you kind of like kind of are with them and you want to make sure that they get you know that good you know approval message from the bank um, you know, and, and for some reason, people love unboxings. And actually, those are my most popular videos on my channel right now. Um, I think that those are it's interesting because all of my videos at this point have been scripted. Uh, mm-hmm. So I have a teleprompter and I kind of speak to the, the teleprompter. And uh, those ones are OK. But uh, the ones that I do for unboxings, they're unscripted. 
They're oh, really? literally just me talking, just like I'm doing right now on this podcast. And so I think that is kind of the direction I want to take my channel in the future is to get away from this teleprompter. Mm -hmm. The teleprompter is helpful, though, especially at the beginning, because there's so many things to think about, like the way you look on camera, like the way your eyes are, and like how you... So you, there's a lot of... It helps a lot mm -hmm. to start with a teleprompter because um, you don't ramble as much. I think that's also helpful because you can deliver your message really straightforward and, and really kind of get it done quickly. Uh, and I tried to do a non-teleprompter like three months ago. It took me like three hours to record like three oh, minutes wow. of content, right? So it's yeah. it's really not – I wasn't at that point yet where I couldn't use them as like training wheels. Mm -hmm. I think I'm starting to get there. I, my goal for the end of the year is to transition my content from not being teleprompted but just to me being talking – on the the you know to the audience just straightforward just like we're doing right now, uh, so that was my goal for 500 was you know on 500 I'm gonna do a podcast uh, you know with with you because I've listened to all your podcasts and I think you're you know you're really kind of good with talking just straight from the heart and from the mind and so I need to develop that skill and everyone starts at different areas and different yeah. levels I'm sure when you first started it was also hard for you to do yeah. too but the thing is the the more you do it the more you kind of push it out there the more you kind of try these different things the more skills you'll get into it and it, it shows you know just like with you starting a YouTube channel you know when you first started six months later you're like way better than you are and I'm sure six months later I'll be way better than I am now and so it's just a matter of practice, practice, practice. And hopefully, you know, the audience will also agree and, and, and really follow and resonate with your changes of the style of your videos. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it's interesting with the teleprompter. I remember the first one of your first few videos that I watched, I could tell you were reading it. Like I could tell you're definitely reading. And then as you got later along, it, it got more natural. Like I, I couldn't pick oh, up yeah. that you were reading it. And then I think the audience can sense when you're being authentic and then they can sense when you're like just reading off like a PowerPoint. You know, you ever right. like when you in school when somebody presents a PowerPoint, they're just reading the freaking PowerPoint like with <laughs> yeah, no exactly. color analysis on top of what yeah, they're yeah, talking yeah. about. So, you know, coming off more in a net and it takes time. It, I, my first videos, I mean, I was in the editing. I, I still use the same. I use the iMovie editor. I'm not like any precise editing, but mm -hmm. I was literally like cutting every two seconds. Mm, uh, mm, uh, that's all I was doing. And, and it took me a while to figure out like how to articulate and say certain things and think as I'm talking. Right. And it's, it's a skill. And it, YouTube's underrated because us as content creators, we pick up many different like right now I can stand in an auditorium that's full of 10,000 people and I could talk to them and it's mm -hmm. not a problem before. Oh my God, there's no way you can get me to talk to a room of like right, 10 people. Right. right? So <laughs> it, you, you built this, these skills without even realizing, but the longer you do it, even if you never make a penny from it, you, you build these skills that you never know where you, they can apply in, in real life. So it is cool to see. I've seen it from you uh, and the way your channels progressed and I'm sure it's going to get even better. And once you get off the teleprompter. I'm sure you're going to get some feedback for this uh, video and people are going to be like, Stan, you're natural. What are you talking about? You don't need a freaking <laughs> teleprompter. So it, it will get better. And, and I love I love where you've taken the channel. I can't wait to see where it's going to go forward and I can't wait for it to to hit the 1,000. I'm thinking a lot of things. We want I want to have you on a live, a real live stream when you hit the 1,000. I also want to um apply for a credit card i think oh really now, oh that's a surprise moki all right we, tell me more yeah we, i don't know which way i'm gonna take this yet i have to think maybe i'll talk to you in private we'll figure it out uh i have 
I, first of all, all my uh, lines are blocked. Uh, all my the three credit reports. I'm gonna have to mm-hmm. figure out. Uh, it's a pain. I just did it when I applied for a mortgage six months ago, and it was spent like I lost the pins because you know I'm oh, so I write it down right. and I, I'm not tech savvy. I wrote it down and I put the paper somewhere, so I had mm-hmm. to verify myself and all. But I think it'll be fun. You know, it'll be fun to uh, bring all that together, get some kind of credit card. Not that I'm probably ever gonna use it, but just to show my support to you and to say, hey. Um, great job, great work you're doing out there. And I, I really believe in you and, and everything you've done. And I think going forward, uh, your message will resonate with a lot of people who are trying to maximize. Because while I sit here and say, don't use credit cards, I can't deny the fact that if you use them the way you're saying to use them, if I use them the way you're saying, I could probably add a couple, five, six, seven hundred dollars a year extra in in um, cash back but even on top of that what you've piqued my curiosity in these sign up bonuses i don't know how the points work Uh, i I know when i worked at the bank we had our own like point system but you had to go to a website to redeem it it wasn't like i don't it wasn't like the points that you're talking about so i i'd love to learn more hopefully in videos you put out i'm still uh new to credit cards obviously and and learning and uh maybe a 1k will do the uh We'll do the the real live stream, and maybe I'll do a watch me apply for a credit card video. That would, <laughs> would be, be uh, amazing. <laughs> that would be epic, right? Yeah, on your channel, I thought I'd never see the day. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I can't make those promises yet. I have to. I have to see because uh, my. I don't think I'd even get approved for a higher end. Uh, my credit score was at seven. It's now at like six eighty. So mm-hmm. I don't know what. Uh... Yeah, we're basically starting from scratch because when people first start, their credit score is generally around six fifty, six eighty. You don't have any negatives, I would imagine, because you just don't no. use them anymore. It's I just, just have you, one trade line, which is the but mortgage. you have the mortgage, so the mortgage has some value to it too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we can always talk offline about kind of that sort of thing. I think it's just you know very cool that you are thinking about having a credit card. Uh, of course, you know you want to make sure that you know it's it all comes back to finance, right? Personal finance. And so, you know, your channel, investing, my channel, credit cards, other channels that do personal finance, they're all connected. And it really comes down to the simple fact that you have to, like I said earlier, you have to spend less than you make. That's very important because if you don't do that, then you won't be successful with credit cards or with investing or literally anything financial. You have to really go back to the basics about this. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people don't seem to realize. They chase the cashback rewards. They chase the miles. They chase the points. Uh, but it's not helping them in general. And I think that's kind of what I – I think you have that message. You know, I try to have that message as well. Um, you know, I feel like the the audience I have in the credit card community, they all – already know that which yeah. is very yeah. good but i think your audience you know maybe more of you know how do i get out of debt how do i oh know, they know it too yeah, though right uh, they attack me left and right i think i i don't give my audience enough credit for how smart they are financially i mm-hmm. uh because i have my own financial coaching business and i work with uh, some clients who are trying to get out of debt i i put on that hat when i come on and talk about credit cards on the youtube mm-hmm. channel i probably shouldn't because if you're already investing then you probably got that stuff figured out right uh, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm talking to people like oh they don't got anything figured out which i, I need to stop that i know i need to stop well, that you have that's... to know yourself too because you yeah. know yourself you know you yeah. said even you admit saying you know if i was given a five thousand dollar limit i'm gonna spend five thousand absolutely right? tomorrow so, <laughs> right and so that's why you have to just know yourself well so some a lot of people in the community they know that they can get like you know five thousand ten thousand twenty five thousand and they're not going to spend that money they're going to yeah. spend as little as possible 
but they're still going to, you know, with the money they spend, they'll get that rewards back. And one thing I do want to mention uh, uh, just before I forget is that, you know, using cash in this society almost makes it like you're losing money. I want to explain that really quick to you. Mm -hmm. So um, I think you mentioned that you use cash at the small businesses when you do your purchases, and sometimes they give you a discount, you know, because... Well, they don't give me... They just don't charge me for the credit card uh, processing fee. They just like, oh, we'll take this three, four bucks off, whatever. Yeah, and this is like very common when some, you know, some institutions, they do that. And, you know, if you use cash, they really like, like it. But... You know, I think that a lot of merchants, uh, they're not allowed to charge you the credit card processing fee. Like, you know, the visas charge about 2%, Amex charge around 3%. Uh, yeah. They're not allowed to do that. But what they can do, and I, this is totally unsubstantiated. This is something that I'm fairly certain happens, but I can't really prove it. Uh, the merchants will bake that price into the price of their items. Yeah. And so basically what you're doing with cash is if you're paying with cash, you're actually paying, you're overpaying for these products. So when you're actually getting a 2% Fidelity card, 2% SoFi, 2% what have you, uh, Wells Fargo had a 2% card, um, you're actually breaking even. You're not actually getting 2% cash back. It's when you get to those 5%, you know, 4X, 3X kind of cards, that's when you're actually kind of making a little bit of money. But it's kind of, that's what I, you know, I want you to understand too, is because yeah. cash can sometimes seem like it's better psychologically but really you're overpaying for a lot of items and that is one benefit of credit cards among the other things like you know the purchase protection and the fraud protection and things like that yeah i never thought of it that way that's a very interesting perspective because it's true um you know not every and i don't want to misrepresent every business that i do you know that i give my money to but it, sure. these are like mom and pop shops if i walk into my local grocery store they're not going to give me a discount because i pay for cash uh, right. but like you're saying I pay for cash. I'm paying for their credit card processing fee, whatever they mark up that item to cover that, whatever they got to do to cover that fee. Um, and I get no, I walk out with nothing. I don't walk out with any cash back. So that is very interesting. Um, and, and that's is where I'm opening up to the idea of a controlled way to try to get back. I'm, as you can tell, I'm scarred by credit cards. <laughs> I am like scarred. So I'm. But you uh, have that experience and that wisdom, yeah. and that's so valuable because now you know yourself so much better. And so I think exactly. if you try the second time around, you can start to develop that mindset. Do I really need this? Do I really need this product? Right. And yeah. so that's and, kind and of... I I always go back to the so I always go back to the cash right when I pull out when I pull out the Benjamin right and oh, I yeah. have to give this guy away. <laughs> Oh, I don't want to give them away. But then when, again, it's it's something in me. And I know I'm not the only one, I know, but I also know that there's people who can treat a credit card like this Benjamin where like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not going to pay whatever X amount for this. I don't need this thing. And, and for me, it's just I have to, I know I'm smart enough to f- figure that out and flip that switch. And mm-hmm. I'm willing to try because I agree with you. I am uh, suffering sort of in the quality of life sometimes, especially internationally, right? Like internationally, it gets tricky. I use my debit card internationally, but I'm always like in the back of my mind, one, I'm paying a fee for that. Every time I go to the ATM, I'm paying a fee. Every time I make a a purchase over there with my debit card, I'm paying a fee. And like, and I travel a lot. I plan on going to Europe next uh, next year. And I'm always in in Mexico Mm -hmm. and always traveling somewhere abroad. I try to once a year and sometimes twice, three times. And it's like, I, I should really have a better system for that. And that was my thing. I was like, maybe I should just get one that's got like no 
and we'll talk and we'll figure it out. I'll have you yeah. on the live stream, like, sh- like give me like five cards that fit my profile and we'll figure all that stuff That'll out. Be It'll be yeah, I'd love that kind of video. That'd be yeah. awesome. <laughs> It'll be fun. It'll be fun. And you can use it on your channel too. As like, Hey, I'm teaching this guy about credit cards. So this was, this was awesome. Eye opening. Um, hopefully the, um, I know the audience is going to find this informative, hopefully somewhat entertaining. Um, what closing thoughts do you want to give? This is your time to talk about your, your where people can find you. Um, anything you want, you you let the people know. Sure. So uh, my name is Stanley again. I'm uh, the creator on The Credit Frog. Uh, that's the YouTube channel that I run. We just talk about credit cards and we have a good time there. The community is very open, very receptive. It's been a great experience. And so I think, think if you like credit cards or want to learn more about credit cards, definitely check the YouTube channel out. I respond to every comment. I read them all personally. And so I want to make sure that if you have a question about anything, I'm always here for that. So thank you uh, for considering checking me out. And if you like the content, definitely you know give me a like and subscribe. Awesome. Hey, man. Well, thanks so much for making the time tonight to, to come on. And uh, thank you to everybody out there that's listening. We're going to conclude this episode 64. Uh, before we sign out, guys, if you are listening to me on Apple Podcasts, this is only for you on the Apple Podcast side, and you haven't left me a rating and review, I'd appreciate it if you do. It's the only way the podcast algorithm has figured me out. So please leave me a five-star if you think I deserve it. If not, just do it because Stanley deserves it. So leave a five-star. Write a review. If, you, if you're a follower of Stanley as well, make sure you let, let me know in the podcast review section as well. Now you can rate me on Spotify too. Thanks so much to everybody who's listening. Uh, have a great rest of your day. And as always, move obstacles, keep investing.